On today's show, it's just Will and I as Noah is sick today. So Will and, no- Will and I get to be the substitute teachers as we go over the left side of the March Madness bracket, the East and the West, go over some teams that we like, dislike, potential upsets that we think are incoming. And then for TCR, we obviously do our birthday shout outs. And then we could talk a little bit about Taysom Hill and the contract that he was uh, handed by the New Orleans Saints, as well as the Aaron Jones contract that he was handed by Green Bay. So it's going to be a packed episode today. Two-man vehicle. You know what time it is. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know that the Bonafide Scrubs podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Okay, so Noah and I live on the East Coast, and that can make it harder for us to watch some of our favorite out-of-market teams. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. He's a Seattle Seahawks fan. Now we can watch any team, regardless of market, with no restrictions, thanks to ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts your data and allows you to change location, tricking sites into thinking you're located somewhere else. You can use ExpressVPN to stream all sports, NFL, NBA, MLB, you name it. ExpressVPN works on all devices from smartphones, tablets, computers, and even smart TVs. It's incredibly easy to use. Just fire up the app, choose a location, and hit connect. To save money and watch all the games you want, just visit expressvpn.com slash scrubs to get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash scrubs to get three months free. Thanks again to ExpressVPN for sponsoring the show. You know what time it is. This man was a bona fide scrub. Today is Tuesday, March 16th. And you know what that means, Thomas Aiello. It means the NCAA men's tournament starts this weekend. On Friday, it'll be the first games. Thursday is the first four. And it is honestly one of my favorite sports times of the year. I mean, we were deprived of the tournament last year. And finally, 2021, things are turning around. And March Madness is back. And if you haven't been paying attention to college basketball that much this season, because it has been a little bit, uh, you know, I guess more boring or less interesting than some years before, this will be the show for you because we're going to be going through all the different regions throughout this week. And just getting you ready to uh, win your bracket pool, hopefully. But today, uh, it is just a two-man vehicle, as it's me, Will Swanky, and joined by producer Thomas. So Noah, he uh, was just a couple episodes ago bragging about being the Eli Manning of the show, not missing (laughs) any episodes. But uh, today, and an important show. I mean, this week, it's a big deal. March Madness starting. He... uh, is out with flu-like symptoms, so it'll just be the two-man show today, Thomas. So, how are you doing? You're uh, stepping into a, a bigger role this episode. Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, you know, this is March, and March is madness, and Noah missing the show is madness technically. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, welcome to March, everybody. <laughs> yeah, the Eli Manning goes down. He uh, he came, he came back uh, to campus this week, and I don't know. I, I don't want to. I kind of see the writing on the wall. I don't want to say it, but he might uh yeah, have have covid to be specific covid-19. So, I don't know. <laughs> I mean covid covid to be specific covid-19. Flu like symptoms. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll keep you updated, but hopefully he'll be back. It's it's the sixth season unfortunately. Everyone goes through that period every year. My real sixth season despite me already having it, the covid 
my real sick season is in April when the allergies and the flowers just start sprouting. And then I just literally am stuffed like a, uh, like what's the, what is the sandwich that everyone knows that is just stuffed with crap and you just keep picking it all out. What is the sick? Cause it's so famous. I literally forget what it's called. <laughs> what? There's a sandwich at, Oh, club. I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the Super Bowl Sunday hero. I'm just stuffed with crap. Like my nose is just okay. stuffed with crap and I just have a hard time breathing and I'm on Claritin. I'm drinking like tea every day. So my real sick season is April. I don't know about you, but uh, hopefully Noah get better. We, we do miss you, but it is March and then he is missing his first ever show and it is madness. So let's get into it. Yeah. The theme fits for me. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of lucky. I don't get bad allergies. I do like slightly, but yeah, I'm not. I'm no uh, Super Bowl sandwich over here, luckily. So <laughs> do you have to take? Do you always just like keep the Claritin around or any any stuff like that, or is it more you can avoid that stuff? No, I never have to take uh, allergy medication. Oh, you're lucky then. Yeah, hopefully I don't jinx it. But all right, let is let let's uh let's get started here on this episode. We're going to be doing the East and the West region this show. So on uh either on Thursday or Friday, I haven't decided yet. Maybe we'll drop a day early just to get things out in time but we're gonna be doing the um the south and the midwest on the next show so half the tournament this episode half the tournament the next episode and just to get started i mean before we break down the actual regions i do kind of want to talk a little bit about why we think maybe college basketball isn't as interesting this year or has lost kind of its its hype heading into the tournament i don't know i mean typically at this time of year it's like by far one of the most exciting times. I mean, it still is to me. I'm still ready to go, but I think in years past, it has been more hyped up. And I don't know. I mean, I think one of those reasons could be just lack of college atmosphere. I mean, I feel like basketball as a sport really does need an atmosphere. And especially in college, I mean, crowds and the different atmospheres around the nation for different schools, it's just a synonymous as with the team. I mean, Duke is a famous team. Everybody knows, but the fact that the fans are all students and they all go crazy and stand for the whole game, like that adds to part of the allure of Duke basketball and just sort of every team uh, that has an identity has a different atmosphere and a different crowd. And I mean, some of the more favorite, some of the more crazy atmospheres that I've ever been in when it comes to sports, I mean, they've been at Seton Hall games. I mean, I've been in crowds for, you know, last second shots, uh, Michigan State came to the Rock last year to play against Seton Hall. They were, I think, either the number one or number three team in the nation. And that game went down to like the final possession. They, I think Seton Hall lost by two. And that, I mean, sitting in the student section for that game, it's just unlike really anything else. So the fact that most of the teams around the country have had no fans and no crowd, uh, I guess it's taken away from just the interest and the excitement of college basketball. So that's I think one reason why it uh, it's been less interesting this year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, college is all about socializing for the most part, seeing people going and do stuff together with your friends and college basketball, we know is a very deeply rooted uh, thing when it comes to having its fans. We know at Cameron indoor stadium in Duke, when the players are inbounding on the sidelines that are adjacent to the team's benches, they do the little hand thing to kind of distract the player we talk about in college sports in general, Clemson, where they touch the rock and they run down the hill for football games. USC does the uh, the sword thing where the guy throws the is it a sword or a 
spear. He throws like the spear something into the ground and the fans just erupt and it gets them all hype. And like you said, it is synonymous with college sports, just the atmosphere. And this year we are going to get some fans, but it's not going to be packed stadiums like it would be for most years. Obviously they play the final four in the football stadiums at Lucas oil. They're going to be in Indiana this year. And they usually fill that up with the regular seats and then the floor, those floor seats where the student sections are with the two schools when they're, when they're playing each other are usually filled to the brink of capacity. So obviously not having that this year or to not the extent it would be normally is going to be strange, but it is a very exciting time. March madness is back. Finally, I took a, it took a one year vacation. It went away to a, to a remote Island and never showed up. And until now, and, it's fun to finally have it back. And I don't know, maybe losing college basketball, the hype, I wouldn't say it's gone. You could say maybe the lack of, you know, no Duke, no Kentucky this year. UNC wasn't very good. All the big schools that usually matter, UCLA, Arizona, they weren't exactly the powerhouses that they normally are. And this year we've had some new teams step up like Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois has been putting a program together. We do have the Michigan Wolverines, so they are still here. But, I mean, Syracuse is an 11 seed in the Midwest. Uh, Rutgers got in this year. UConn, they just went they, – they're back in the tournament for the first time in, I think, five or six years, maybe even a little longer than that. So the seeding and the quality of teams, I guess you could say, from a name standpoint, aren't there. But this should make for a very interesting tournament this year because there are still some very good – players as we know this draft class for the nba are interesting to see how all of these teams will line up and match up with each other yeah the lack of big names definitely another reason why i think the interest isn't there and it's not as easy to follow i mean when duke's not good it's not as easy to you know watch illinois every game and know what's going on with them and they don't necessarily have any big time nba prospects on their team like every year with you know when duke has zion and rj like they're on espn every day like everybody knows what's going on with their season. Everybody can follow them. And when they head into a tournament as a one seed, people are, are already familiar. And that's just, it goes the same with teams like Kentucky, UNC. You already brought up some of these you know, perennial teams. And when Gonzaga is the best team in the country and undefeated all the way out there in, I mean, do they play in the big sky? I mean, it's a conference nobody yeah, they play in like one of those weird conferences. To. So, yeah, I mean, that's, Definitely a reason when the when the best teams are not teams that we're familiar with or when they're not in major conferences, it does make it harder to follow because they're just not uh, they're they're not branded the same way. And that goes for schools, too, but also goes for big name players. I don't know if there's that many big name NBA prospects in this tournament this year. I mean, obviously, you have Cade Cunningham with Oklahoma State, Luca Garza, not necessarily a super big NBA prospect, but. He is probably going to be national player of the year this year. There's a couple of guys, uh, Jalen Suggs, obviously, but there isn't just like, it's not packed with NBA talent or with like big time college basketball stars like there usually is. So yeah, I think the lack of big schools and big name players also things that are definitely hurting the tournament this year. I mean, this is the first year with no Duke and Kentucky since 1976. So, (laughs) I mean, we don't know what the hell is going on with the, with those teams this year, but uh, yeah, the first time in almost 50 years, 45 years that there will not be either of those teams. So that's, that's pretty crazy. And uh, probably another reason is just the start and stop nature of the season. I mean, a lot of teams 
were postponed for weeks and weeks for Corona. I mean, Michigan, a number one seed, missed like three weeks in the middle of the year, just stopped dead uh, because of, of positive tests. So it's it's been a weird college basketball season, one like no other, but it just it makes way for a tournament that's probably not going to be like any other. It's the fact that there's so many smaller brands and smaller schools with opportunities here to win maybe their first ever tournaments uh it does make it exciting but it also makes it pretty hard to predict yeah this is definitely going to be one of the hardest fields to predict um especially for people who are kind of out of the college basketball loop and that's not a shot at you will because you do follow big east basketball obviously you go to seton hall i follow the atlantic tens and i go to fordham so we both kind of know what's going on in our, our conferences, but the broader picture, I think collectively outside of the teams that really matter uh, teams like Oklahoma state, or you could say teams like BYU, we don't really follow them as much, but we do have a general idea of what is going on. And to go back to your point about the player quality, the big name value, it's definitely a little weaker than years before it. There are, there are some good players, though. There are some big names. Um, one of them, of course, being Jalen Suggs, who's the projected top three pick in the NBA draft, Cade Cunningham at the aforementioned point guard from Oklahoma State. And some of these other teams, I mean, we can look at, um, if we look at Iowa, Luca Garza, like you said as well, not, not exactly the highest touted NBA prospect, but it is a name who is just so dominant in college. Michigan, they've got, a slew of guys between Isaiah Livers. Uh, they got a great three-point shooting team. Franz Wagner, Hunter Dickinson. LSU has some good names. Trendon Watford, Javante Smart, Cam Thomas, who showed up yesterday. And Illinois has a couple of names themselves between Kofi Cokeburn, um, Ayo Dosumu. I, I hope I said his name right. Excuse me. And their freshman. It sounds kind of right. Sounds kind of right? All right, I'll take yeah. it. And then they have a freshman, Andre Cabello from Long Island, who's going to be a stud. And UConn, of course, the big name there is James Boaknight from Brooklyn, the point guard. So there are definitely some names here, definitely some interesting players and teams to watch. But like you did say before, the name value has definitely lost it. Unfortunately, the highest valued name from Seton Hall, Sandro Mamu Kalashvili, will not be in the tournament. There you I go. Think you said it correctly. I'm proud. Yeah. I No, I'm a big Mamu fan, so I obviously know. Yeah, but that would probably be the most valuable name because it's it would get people annoyed on Twitter and they'd be like, how do you pronounce Mamu Kalashvili? Because I remember um, you and I were trying to explain to Noah how, how hey, this is how you pronounce Mamu's name. And we had to do like the parenthetical spelling. And then Noah just goes Mokunum Bakachiki or some crazy shit like that, which I thought was really <laughs> funny. But, you know, some of these players aren't going to be in. And some of the teams that we normally see like every year who are on ESPN every week are just not going to be here this year. Either their teams just were not that good or COVID messed them up. And it's a combination of both. But this will still be an interesting, interesting bracket to pick. I can say that. This is going to be this is going to be some some madness. So no, like not even trying to be corny. I'm I'm serious this time. All right. Well, let's get started. As I said before, we're doing the left side of the bracket today, the West and the East. So we could start off here with the West, Thomas, and the number one seed in this conference is Gonzaga, I mean, the uh, the number one overall seed in the tournament, they come into the year unbeaten. They're the first unbeaten team heading into the tournament since 2015, where, I mean, a couple of NBA players, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, uh, those two, 
being the most notable, they uh, came into the tournament undefeated and ended up eventually losing. So they were not able to get it done. And no team has been able to snap the streak. I mean, a couple uh, of teams have made it. Uh, notoriously, Larry Bird went all the way to the finals or went all the way to the championship game against Magic Johnson and lost after going undefeated into the tournament. And just like, I mean, 1976, maybe that's a magic year because Indiana, that was the last year that a team went completely unbeaten. And that was the year with no Duke and Kentucky. So a lot of interesting things going back to 1976. But Gonzaga, they are the number one overall seed in come in this tournament. They kind of do have some parallels between the Kentucky team. I mean, they have a couple of, of NBA players slated into the uh, into similar spots. I mean, Cat was the number one overall pick, obviously. Jalen Suggs uh, projected to be top three. They also have Corey Kispert, who Kispert. projected to go in the 10 to 14 range, kind of like Booker. So I don't know, maybe some parallels between those different drafts. But I mean, this team, I kind of would be careful of buying too much into the fact that they're unbeaten and that they probably won't be able to just never lose. I mean, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people probably buy into that and will have them getting upset at some point just because they don't want to have a team that never loses win the whole thing. And I mean, I kind of am wary of that as well, but I kind of want to be too, uh, I want to be careful of not just for that being my only reason as to why I don't think they can win the whole thing. I mean, this team, Mark Few, since he took over at Gonzaga has been one of the better coaches in the nation. And the fact that they play in a minor conference is not, you know, the reason for that. They always are constantly making the sweet 16. They were the runner up just a couple of years ago. I mean, this is a real division one strong program. And the fact that they are in a weaker conference might be the reason why they go undefeated like a year like this year, but that doesn't mean that they can't easily win the tournament. I mean, this team has NBA talent. They have a veteran leader in Kispert or Keyspert or however you say it. Kispert. Uh, he's a senior for them. They're a leading scorer. And I mean, to me, that I value that in March Madness. I mean, when you have an experienced coach and a veteran leader that's been with the team for a long time, I think that combination serves teams well. And I think a lot of teams are able to find success when you can rely on just a solid veteran guy and also a coach that's been to the tournament a lot and has you know made finals runs and just knows how to get things done. So for me, I think Gonzaga is a strong number one overall seed. Uh, I do have them in my final four. I will tip my hand there and say that. But yeah, I mean, I'm not ready to, to dethrone them just because they're unbeaten. I think a lot of people lean into that too much and it might be a mistake. I definitely agree with the idea that um, you should you should you should not overlook who the heck they've played in their conference. I mean they they play these goofy teams that you know not to knock them, but it's not the same as an ACC as a Big Ten or a Big Twelve. Now they Gonzaga do has a couple couple nice wins to their name this year. They beat Luca Garza and Iowa by eleven. They beat Kansas by twelve. They beat Virginia by twenty three. Beat. beat BYU three times, and then they beat West Virginia by five. So, I mean, tests, but I would like to see how they're going to perform in this atmosphere. Because if they win their first game and they're playing the 16th seed, whoever that playing game you win that, it's basically a death sentence at that point. They're going to play either Oklahoma or Missouri. So those are eight and nine seeds. And saying Oklahoma or Missouri are 
teams that are going to wow you with anything that they do, but Gonzaga has not been tested by teams that have been tough and annoying that play some defense and Mizzou. If I have to kind of, I guess, pick one here for an example, Mizzou is definitely an annoying team. They play a really pricky style of basketball. It's sort of like a, it's like the scrappy kid in the, in the park when you play basketball with them, that's kind of what they play like. So, and yes, you did mention that Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs obviously lead the Gonzaga team along with sophomore Drew Timmy and along with coach Mark Few, who should be in the pantheon of the best college coaches in the nation. There's definitely something, some substance here. I definitely think they're going to at least make it to the Elite Eight. Sweet 16 is worst case, but, but come the Elite Eight, they're going to be dealing with some really, hope I, I presume, some very good team. And I don't know if they're going to be able to handle the adversity. With, that comes with that. I would like to have seen them get tested a little bit more this year, but you definitely don't want to sleep on them, but you also don't want to like, Oh yeah, I'm going to lock Gonzaga to win the whole thing. I don't think that that is a team you can roll with an idea like that. 18, 19, they made the elite as the number one seed in that tournament uh, the year before sweet 16 as a four seed and then 16, 17, uh, they were the runner up. Uh, as a number one seed, they ended up going into the final and losing. So, I mean, yeah, you talked about them having to face Mizzou in the second round if they're able to get it done. I mean, I have that's just Mizzou I'm not I didn't, their... I didn't pick because they could face Oklahoma, but like if they have to face one of those two, yeah, I have Mizzou winning the first round. Oklahoma's been pretty bad as of late. I think they lost. They're they're on like a big losing streak, and I just I do think Mizzou the fact that they are a better defensive team uh, to me that. Uh, has a lot of value here in that matchup. So I have them going out to play Gonzaga in the second round. I said before that I do have Gonzaga going to the final four. So I, I do think this team is the real deal and is a strong team uh, out of this side of the bracket. All right. Well, how about Thomas, the five twelve matchup in this side Creighton, a big East team. I'm familiar with them going up against UC Santa Barbara and five twelves. I mean, notoriously, we know that, 12 seeds tend to upset the five frequently uh, this year, or rather this side, I do have Creighton winning as the higher seeded team. Uh, I have watched them decently closely as I mean, covering Seton Hall and everything. Uh, Marcus Agurowski is their best player and leading scorer. And I mean, this team, they made it, made it to the Big East championship. They did get cooked by uh, Patrick Ewing in, and Georgetown, which is a 12 seed in another section of the bracket but to me i mean i think creighton's a decent team uh, I, I don't think they're too highly seated at five i think that's a good sp spot for them and usually the problem comes down to where the five seeds are kind of questionable power five teams that probably are seated too highly where the 12 seeds end up being a mid-major that won their their uh, their conference tournament or something and that team ends up actually being much better than the weak power five team. But in this matchup specifically, I think Creighton is actually a pretty decent, legit team. And I don't think they're overseated at five. I actually am going to go the complete opposite of you. I'm going to pick UC wow. Santa Barbara. Yeah. They have their, con they have conference player of the year, Ja'Cory McLaughlin. And they just went on an 18 to one run in terms of winning games. Okay. They got hot at the right time. 18 and one. Think about that. 18 and one. Like how 
how do you do that? And seriously, I think that's wild. And the five, the five twelve magic is always just a thing. So, and I'll look, I, I, I'm going to take your word for it. I haven't really paid attention to Creighton too much in the Big East, only because I just never really think of them. I always watch Georgetown, Seton Hall, because I, like I said, I'm a Mamu fan. Um, Villanova, those teams are more interesting to me. But I'm going to go with UC Santa Barbara. I think that they've peaked at the right time. The 18 and one. Uh, run like I said, I have 19 contests is wild. On top of the fact they play crazy defense, they also have very versatile players such as Junior Ford, Amadou So, and uh, Miles Norris, who are incredibly versatile and annoying players to match up against. They are just, I think they're going to upset Creighton. I, I, I just think I can, I can see them doing it, and they're red hot at the right time. Right now, they average 76 and a half points a game. That's only a half a point less than what Creighton averages. And they allow 63 points per game. So I'm going to pick the defensive team here over Creighton. All right. I mean, that's fair. I will say that UC Santa Barbara, I mean, they play in the Big West Conference. So, I mean, you mentioned their 18 out of 19 games that they yeah, won. The They're not necessarily playing, you know, excellent competition. I mean, UC Irvine is in this conference. They were a team, uh, kind of a Cinderella team in the last tournament. Uh, so, I mean, teams from this conference do have a chance to get things done, but I don't know. For me, I have some other 512s that I like, and I wasn't willing to go with Santa Barbara here. So, yeah, I mean, interesting. I do like uh, when we when we disagree, we can uh, present our case for each team. But, <laughs> That's yeah, I mean, I just I kind of like some other 512s. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you. You know, I mean, you're not going to get all of them right, but I think UC Santa Barbara, like I said, them peaking at the right time, Creighton losing to Georgetown in the Big Big East Championship game I thought was a shock because I didn't think Georgetown was that good this year. And as Knicks fans, we adore Patrick Ewing. Some might say he's the greatest Nick of all time. And it was no surprise that he ventured into the Mecca and won the championship, which he could have done in the pros, but unfortunately he did not get the job done at that level as a player. But the fact that they lost to that Georgetown team is is pretty alarming to me because Pat Ewing's coaching system is very, he tries to be over methodical. How about that? Is that a good description? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he brings in a lot of big men for obvious reasons. Yeah. It's an I mean, they're, they're, system. they're hot. They're hot at the right time, I think. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I just don't like the, um, I don't like the idea that they lost to Georgetown in the final in the championship game like that. And like you said before, they do have Zagarski. How am I saying that right? Zagarowski. Zagarowski. See, do you, have I'll, I'll mess up the names and you correct it and you mess up the names and I'll correct it. <laughs> All right, we'll go back and forth. I like that. But, you know, I, that, that was just very alarming to me. And they were very good all year. And just to see them kind of hiccup like that was a little shocking. But I think this UC Santa Barbara team, they allow 63 points per game. That's, that's pretty damn good considering the staff that they have. So we're going to, I think we're going to see, this will definitely be an interesting one. All right. Well, the second round in this conference is where things get kind of crazy for me. I have USC. I have the winning in the first round against Wichita or Drake and then Kansas. I have them beating Eastern Washington and I have USC beating Kansas in the round of 32 this year. And for me, I mean, Kansas, I've always kind of, 
been a Kansas hater when it comes to the tournament. I never really rely on them or trust them at all to get things done. Bill Self, I mean, he's had success as the coach of Kansas, obviously, but I don't know. To me, I feel like I always pick against them early, and usually it works out. And this year, I mean, I'm prepared to do it again. I think USC, they have the Mobley brothers, two of the, you know, they're they're monster seven footers. Uh, I think Evan is the best one. He's Evan's, to go Evan's top the three. prospect. Yeah, Evan's yeah, the he's prospect. predicted to go top three in the the NBA draft next year. I don't know. I just think this team, they they play good defense as well. I just think this team, it has the talent, and uh, you know, they play together. They they play great defense and. I think they have what it takes to be able to beat Kansas heading into the second round. I mean, I just th- I just don't ever trust Kansas when it comes to early in the tournament. And they, I mean, that's kind of been, it's been changing about them because you used to kind of think with Kansas, they would be in the same categories as Duke and Kentucky. And they were kind of in that realm. And I think recently, I mean, people aren't really considering them in the same way. So I don't know, maybe that works in their favor. Maybe there's not as much pressure on them. But I don't know. As of right now, I do have USC taking them down in the second round. Yeah, I the Mobley brothers are just uh, they're they're just monsters. Literally, they're monsters. They're gigantic. They do everything. But the one problem that I'm going to have with U- USC is their egregious free throw shooting. They have one person who shoots over seventy percent from <laughs> the free throw line. So, an area of concern to say the least. You can't knock your free throws down in close games. That's going to be a big problem. But Kansas is not not that good this year. They they really aren't. They just haven't done anything. They don't have anyone that shocks you. Uh, you know, Udoka Azabuki's in the NBA, obviously, so he's not there. I actually don't even know if there's anyone on this Kansas team that I like. Not exactly many people that I really am shocked about. I mean, Marcus Garrett is solid. You know, David McCormick is cool. Jalen Wilson's solid, but you know the rest of this team is. I don't, I don't see them really making any serious noise. Uh, I'm gonna actually pick them to lose in the first round this year. Or all right, yeah. I don't know if I go that far. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll pick them. Uh, yeah, okay. You probably are right. I don't know if I should make them lose in the first round, but I definitely don't trust them defending the Mobleys especially Evan, who is going to, like we said, he's going to be a top three pick. Him, Jalen Suggs, and Jonathan Kaminga are going to probably be the top three. And Kaminga is another name who isn't in college basketball. But Evan, is he can do just about everything. He won a Pac-12 freshman of the year. He was an all-defense selection. He was rookie of the year as well. He averages 17 points, almost nine rebounds. He averages three blocks a game. That's terrifying. And he shoots 31% from three. So, uh, yeah, he's a handful in and of itself. If we look at their team free throw percentage, as I was complaining about, the only person that shoots over 70% is Taj Eddy, and that's at 79%. Everyone else is 69 and below. So the egregious free throw shooting, as I just mentioned, will definitely be a problem, and especially it will be a problem if they're in close games. So I'm going to pick USC and Kansas, but I can't tell you who the hell is going to win between between those two yeah the free throw shooting that's a good point by you free throw shooting does uh, tend to be an important uh stat when it comes to you know teams in the ncaa tournament because a lot of games are so close you do need those knockdown shooters so usc only having 
their one guy shooting, I mean, nearly 80%. That's all they got. So that is uh, definitely a point of concern. With Kansas also, I will say that they are coming into the tournament kind of battling Corona. I mean, they're some of their players are not going to travel right away. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe you're Eastern Washington. Maybe it could be. Random decision. That might. I mean, that might actually not be that bad of an idea if uh, some of Kansas players don't make it for the first game. But yeah, I mean, that could hurt. That could hurt any team, honestly, uh, coming in. So definitely COVID will add to the craziness that we could expect. All right, Thomas. Well, let's move on to the Eastern region here, led by Michigan. They are the number one seed here in this region. And in my opinion, I mean, this is the weakest of all the number one seeds. If I'm going to, you know, say it right off the bat, I I don't think they're going to have any trouble in the first round, obviously, the second round, they're going to face either LSU or Bonaventure. I think they can probably get past them. But when they get into the Sweet 16, I think they can end up facing some level of problems. They're going to face Florida State. That's always a notorious game between those two teams. And going on, I mean, a lot of people like Texas in this region as well. They're the number three seed. Alabama, uh, coached by Nate Oates, the former Buffalo or Rhode Island or Buffalo coach. I, always, I, I do like him. As a coach in the NCAA tournament, he, his teams are always ready to go and strong defensively. So, I mean, this is a tough region. And with Texas and Alabama at three and two, I do think that there's some other contenders potentially to reach the final four out of this section. So Michigan, I mean, they do have kind of a tough path ahead of them. But, I mean, they, they also have had their problems with COVID this year. So some... Uh, some interesting potential upsets here heading into the East region. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that Michigan is the weakest of the one seeds. They are a very good team. They are led by uh, Hunter Dickinson, who was Big Ten Rookie of the Year. He averages 14 points, almost eight rebounds. They have Mo Wagner's brother, Franz, who's very good. Isaiah Livers, who is the senior leader for this team. And Jawan Howard coaches quite a style of basketball i mean their um their overall offensive rating was 20th in the nation 76th in defense and they allow 65 65 points a game which is 53rd so they're a very good team they were ranked fourth going into the march 8th poll but they do have a few concerning losses they lost to minnesota by uh over by over no they lost to minnesota by 18 they lost to Illinois by 23, but Illinois is very good. And then they also lost to Michigan State, who really is not that good. And then, of course, they lost in the semifinal in the Big Ten tournament to Ohio State, which I thought was shocking. But we should not discount this Michigan team. Juwan Howard has proved that he is a very good coach. He knows how to coach college, clearly. He's, he knows what the hell he's doing. I don't think they're going to have a problem in the first round. I also think they can take care of business in the second round, especially considering LSU. They are a very good offensive team, but their defense is, uh, is questionable, to say the least. Um, you know, That's obviously been a, been a thing with them this year. They haven't exactly been the best defensive team. I mean, they are 248th ranked in the nation out of 347 teams. However, they are 22nd in offensive rating. So 
that'll definitely be a problem because they also allow 75 points a game. And Michigan, they they pretty they are very balanced. So they play they either match up with LSU, they match up against St. Bonaventure. I don't think that it'll matter because I think Michigan's a very good team. So it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of roll through it. But like you did say, the Elite Eight is where the teams really start to show up, those good teams. So, I mean, obviously every team that gets there is going to run into trouble, but I think Michigan will be just fine. I like what they're doing. I like Jawan Howard. I like the team that they've assembled. Coming into the tournament, Isaiah Livers is out with a foot injury. So I don't know what the timetable is for him to come back, but he's a top three scorer on this team. So if he's not around, uh, they could run into some problems scoring the basketball, especially if they face if they face uh, a good defensive team like Florida State, maybe in the Sweet 16, yeah. uh, it could be problematic for them. So if Livers doesn't come back, I think I would be I would be wary of, of picking this team to go too far. Yeah, it's definitely not a team I would suggest banking on. They definitely are very good. Are they a lock to win the whole thing? Probably not. That doesn't take away from the fact that they have worked their butts off to get where they are today. And Jawan Howard, like I said before, he coach, coaches a very balanced style of basketball. His, his kids play both ends of the ball. They play correct basketball. They play delightful basketball, if I can use that word. So I think that they'll be fine. He's shown that he can coach anything. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they will run into problems if Livers isn't there because that'll definitely, definitely hurt them. I mean, because it's not like Mike Smith is anything crazy. Sure, he leads the team in assists, but he only scores nine points a game. Eli Brooks isn't really anything insane. And some of their other seniors just aren't that good. I mean, Chaudy Brown, he's he's nice, but he doesn't exactly stand out. He also is a transfer from Wake Forest, so there is that. He does shoot 40% from three. So, I mean, other than him being a shooter, of a threat, is he going to be if Livers isn't there? Austin Davis, who's a senior, he's the backup center to Hunter Dickinson. So it's going to be interesting to see how how this team plays out who's going to step up like you said if livers isn't there who is going to take the reins who's going to who's going to take the initiative that'll be i think the biggest question yeah and i mean to me i agree with you that juwan howard is a good coach i mean obviously his team is you know a top 5 team in the nation heading into the tournament they're they've had a great record and a great season despite some problems with corona and stoppages and everything but he's not an experienced coach he's never you know he's never coached a team in an ncaa tournament before so you know, to me, I, I do value the experience of the coach when it comes to leading a team. And especially when you have one of your better players out, I, I do think the ability to get the coach to recognize that, you know, people are going to have to step up to you know, the, the uh, coach that knows the style of the tournament and how things go and the flow of everything. I think uh, it's a, an important aspect to pay attention to. So Jawan Howard, he gets his feet wet here in his first tournament coaching. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I do think he's a good coach, so we'll see if he's able to adapt uh, and get Michigan to go far. All right, are there any upsets you have here in this first round that you want to get into? I have one, the five twelve here. <laughs> uh, this is one that I was paying attention to. Another Big East team. It seems like a lot of the Big East has drawn the either five or twelve seeds. And to me, Georgetown. I mean, they didn't have a great season at the beginning of the year. 
They aren't necessarily a super talented team, but when it comes to getting hot, they're getting hot at the right time, as I said before. I mean, they won the Big East tournament, taking down Villanova in the first round, taking down Seton Hall in the second round, and then they go on to beat the uh, the five-seeded Creighton. Uh, Villanova and Creighton, both five seeds in this tournament, and Georgetown beat both of them. So they go up against number five, Colorado, here in the first round. And to me, I mean, Colorado is probably a better defensive team I would say, I mean, they they also they don't play as great competition as Georgetown does, so they do allow less points. But with Georgetown, I mean, they just they have the size. Colorado just doesn't have anybody uh, remotely close to the size that Georgetown has with Patrick Ewing coaching that team. And I don't know, I just think the fact that they have a decent offense, good size, and that they're hot at the right time, winning the Big East tournament to get them here into the into the NCAA. I think they. They have a shot here to knock off Colorado in round number one. This is one of my five twelves that I have this year. If you want to go off the height factor, Colorado has a seven footer, Dallas Walton, and then they have Will Lachlan, and then everyone else is six eight and below. I mean, with Jabari Walker, Evan Batley, who's six eight, um, Jeremiah Jeremiah Horn is their uh, other guy who's six seven. And McKinney Wright is their leading scorer, and he's their senior guard, and he's only six feet tall. And if I can pull up the Georgetown team, like you said, with the small ball stuff, they've got two seven-footers who are, they're not crazy contributors, but they're just gigantic people. One of them's 250 pounds, and that's Timothy Igofi. <laughs> Hopefully I said his name correctly. And then they have J- Jamorco Pickett, who's a senior. He's 6'9". He's their, leading sco- he's their second leading scorer at 12 points a game. Then Javon Blair, their star guard, who's 6'4", and he averages 16 points a game. So the length of this Georgetown team, as well as people who are 7 feet tall, 250 pounds, are definitely going to be seriously annoying for this Colorado team to deal with. And like I said before, Georgetown kicking a little literal crap out of Creighton was unexpected, but that shows me that these Hoyas have some more fight in them than I thought they do. And I would like, I think that they're going to take Colorado down. I think Pat Ewing is going to abuse the size like he does all season. And his over methodical offense is just finding the right shot. I think that that's going to be imperative in order for them to win. And I got, I got Georgetown beating Colorado and I got them matching up with Florida State. If it goes beyond that, that is yet to be determined. And the last team that I really want to discuss is uh, the Texas Longhorn really high on them and for good reason because Shaka Smart came from VCU. He is one of the best defensive coaches in all of college basketball. If anyone remembers from the early 2010s, VCU, the Havoc Press, you know what I'm talking about. Shaka is a sick coach, okay? His teams, they're not exactly, they're not crazy talent. They're not crazy talented, but this is his most talented team that he's had in a long time might be his most talented team he's ever had at Texas. And their defense is 104th out of 347 total teams. They allow 69 points a game. So this team is obviously a very solid defensive team, obviously with Shaka Smart being a defensive-minded head coach is always something. And their leader, their two leaders, in fact, Andrew Jones and Matt Coleman, they're um, junior and senior guards, respectively, both averages 15 and 13 points a game. 
They also got some help from junior guard Courtney Ramey, who averages 13 points. And uh, NBA prospect Greg Brown also. He's a freshman. He puts in some contributions here and there. But I think this Texas team is very good. They're going to be very annoying on the defensive end because that's how Shaka's teams always are. And people are really high on them because they're just it, – it's that defense and they really – people, like I keep saying, they believe in Shaka. So I would expect them to make a little noise in the tournament, and I do have them moving on to the second round. Yeah, before I address Texas, which I agree with you, just going back to Colorado, Georgetown, Colorado, they have that one seven-footer, uh, Dallas Walton, and he he's only started three games for them, and he plays less than 20 minutes a game, averages three rebounds. So, I mean, he's going to need to step up for them if they have any shot uh, of taking down Georgetown. But, yeah, I mean, just because just he's seven-foot, uh, he doesn't necessarily contribute that much. So uh, I do think Georgetown's size is more meaningful when it comes to that. And then going out to Texas, I mean, yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think they draw some decent matchups here in the first round. Obviously, uh, they should be able to walk past Abilene Christian. And then BYU, I mean, BYU is a tough team just because offensively they're so sound. I mean, I think they they check all the boxes when it comes to the important stats. They shoot you know, over 37% from three as a team. They shoot over 70% from the line as a team. So offensively, this BYU team is pretty good. But when it comes to, like like you said, Shaka Smart's defense and the way he's been able to coach this team all year, um, kind of just a difficult draw. I think maybe if BYU was matched up against somebody else uh, in, or in a different region, I think I may be more inclined to pick them. But up against Texas, it, up against Texas is hard for them. And uh, yeah, I, I like... Uh, Texas in both of their first two games at least as well. So Texas definitely is a team to watch. And like I said before, you know, Michigan, I'm not super confident in them. So Texas could easily be one of the teams here to I mean, make a final four run. Even I think they do have that ability. Yeah. They got the, they got the defense to do it. They've got the coach to do it. They got the players to do it. And they had that crazy game versus Texas tech earlier this year. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> It's going to be a tough bracket because this Texas team is just so I think this will be the bracket breaking team for some people. And if you've been watching enough Longhorn basketball, it's not like I've watched every game, but I've watched enough games to know. And I know Shaka smart very well because he coached at VCU before he went to, uh, to Texas that his teams are going to rely on their defense as their best offense. That's literally their best offense. And I know that that's a figure of speech for basketball terms. But that's, that is what they do, and that's what Shaka likes to do. So I won't be surprised if this Texas Longhorns team breaks a couple brackets. I, I'm not going to be surprised if they break my bracket. <laughs> so I, it's tough. This is a really interesting, interesting field in the East to pick. The teams are definitely hit or miss, but boy, are these gonna, this is going to probably be the wildest of the, of the sections of the bracket. Yeah, a couple of notable games for them. They lost to Baylor by 14. Uh, so that, I mean, Baylor obviously a number one seed. Uh, they beat Kansas twice. So, I mean, I'm, I was a hater on Kansas before, uh, and I'm, I'm loving Texas now. So Texas goes 2-0 against Kansas on the year. Uh, they split against West Virginia, another three seed. So, I mean, yeah, they, they have their fair share of solid wins against toply seeded teams. In this tournament, so yeah, they. I mean, they have definitely the schedule, pedigree to that proves they're a good team. So, I don't think we're we're overrating them at all by saying that they could break a lot of brackets. Shout out, shout out to Shaka. 
one of my favorite coaches in all of college basketball. I hope Haka Shaka lives on, baby. This is an GCR special report. Now reporting. And then I became a fully realized human being. No, 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 this isn't, no, this is not a discussion. When the clock struck six, it meant one thing. I am once again asking for Donald Trump to remove his toupee. Execute order 66. Now, from the Fordham University News Desk, here's Thomas Allen. That dude is garbage. It is time for the Thomas Culture Report, the TCR segment. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I would first like to start off this segment by saying good afternoon to Dr. Commissioner Will Swanky. I'm I'm a Dairy Queen veteran. And I'd also like to say good afternoon to myself. Are you on drugs, Levine? Anyway, March Madness, as we just previewed on our first segment of the Bonafide Scrubs. Now, we're going to do the birthday shout-outs. And then we're going to do a little NFL. So we're going to kind of have a little bit more less culture stuff, but we're going to, it's going to be more sports this time. So today, March 16th, happy birthday to Janae Aiko, the singer. I hope I said her last name right. Happy birthday. Shout out to our friend, Adam Blake Griffin, the newest member of the Nets. Wow. You want to wish a happy birthday to Blake Griffin? I mean, it does get, it does get us the clout. He's a <laughs> hype name still. He, the name value you is just want Blake Griffin. You want Blake Griffin over Carmelo Anthony? Um, who else's birthday is it? Also, happy birthday to Joel Embiid, Noah's favorite player. Shout out to Noah and shout out to Joel, who had a uh, very hideous injury the other day, so hopefully he gets better soon. Also, happy birthday to the fourth U.S. president, James Madison, father of the Constitution. Wrote the, um, How old is he? Do you know? Oh, my God. You think I'm going to know? Well, you're wishing him a happy birthday. Dude, he's, he's got to be at like 400 at this point. I, I haven't done the math, but he's like close to that. But he's the father of the oh. Constitution. He wrote I the looked up James S- Madison age, and he's a 24-year-old uh, English soccer player. <laughs> We're talking about the president. We don't care about soccer on this show. I'm kidding. He, but. Okay, he died when he was 85. He was born in 1751. So that yeah. means he's... Wait, he lived till 85? What is he? He's he 270 years old. Is that? Or am I? Yeah, that's right. Right. That sounds about. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the 400 part's definitely not correct. But father of the Constitution, he wrote the 85 essays of the Federalist Papers with uh, Alex Hamilton and John Jay, as well as is which were actually the ratifications of the U.S. Constitution. Also, happy birthday. To Flava Flav, rapper from the um, group Public Enemy. He's the guy that goes to the Knicks games and says things like, yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. Oh, yeah, that's him? The yeah, boy? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's him. That's Flava. That's in 2K also, the yeah, boy. Yeah. Oh, my Oh my God, it is. Wait, you're right. Oh, no. Oh, it is. You're right. Also, happy birthday to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., son of Vlad Guerrero Sr. of the Toronto Blue Jays. Russell, shout out to Russell. That's his apparent favorite player. Yeah, he helped me. Uh, Vlad Jr. helped me win my fantasy baseball championship last year. So shout out to oh, him. Yeah, I didn't lose right. all year. So I got to go back to back. I've never lost in fantasy baseball. So I have a, a reputation to uphold to, to never not lose. If, not if I have anything to say about it, Well, <laughs> Also, happy birthday to Curtis Granderson, former Yankee, former Tiger, former Met. 
uh, to help the Mets get to the World Series in 2015. Was a two-time All-Star with the Yankees, one time with Detroit. A shout-out to the Grandy Man. And as John Sterling says, the Grandy Man can. <laughs> so it is his birthday. And our last birthday, happy birthday to Reggie Bullock, the Knicks starting small forward. Yeah, Reggie. One of our, I wouldn't say most beloved Knicks, but... One of the most uh... slept on Nick. I mean, when I when they brought him back uh, this off season, I was like, yeah, I don't know what the point of that is, but he's contributed a lot this year. So he, I mean, he fills a void for the Knicks, which is a lot needed shooting. So agreed. Floor spacing is important, and uh, yeah, shout out to Reggie. Yeah, happy birthday, Reggie. We love you. Hopefully, you find this at some point because we'd like to buy you a cake. No, I'm kidding. What? And um, happy trails to Drew Brees. He officially renounced his retirement the other day, put something up on Instagram with a picture with his kids. And then he renounced on Twitter. It was retweeted by Adam Schefter. Pretty much every football uh, insider that you could think of that works for ESPN. So happy trails to future Hall of Famer Drew Brees. Definitely going to be making his way to Canton, Ohio, the all-time leader in passing yards. And um, I do have a meme for that, actually. He is the all-time leader in passing yards. But when you throw deep every friggin' time, of course you're going to be the leader in the most yards of all time. Like, of course it's going to happen. Well, what is that? People make fun of him for not having an arm. Well, now what he doesn't have an arm. But when he did have an arm, that's all he did. All it right. Just, well, I mean, you got to complete those passes. So I mean, he did. something for that. He did. So I'll give him credit. But every, when you go deep every time, of course you're going to break the record. 13-time Pro Bowler, but it's not like that matters. He's only a one-time All-Pro selection. I did not know he only has one, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess when you play with the same era as Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, you're not going to have a lot. <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers. Don't forget him. Yeah. Don't forget him. He also um, had 2004 Comeback Player of the Year after that horrific injury in San Diego that pretty much just deleted him from existence and then went down to new orleans and sean payton turned him into an all-pro quarterback and he was a pro bowler ever since and that first year he threw for 44 18 which is 4418 yards 26 touchdowns to 11 interceptions that is a really really good ratio actually and he's led the league in passing yards multiple times with five seasons i count here on pro football reference of over 5,000 passing yards and he led the league in touchdowns quite a few times. I count two seasons here with over 40 touchdowns thrown. So shout out to Drew Brees going to be in Canton, Canton, Ohio very soon. And growing up, you and I obviously were fans of the uh, NFC North Green Bay, Minnesota fans here talking, but Drew Brees was always a pleasure to watch. I thought he was always a great competitor, classiest as it gets, other than maybe you want to say Tom Brady, but it was a pleasure watching Drew for all of these years. Yeah, Breeze, I mean, obviously a Hall of Famer, but it was time for him to retire, I think. I mean, most people, just by watching him play, you could see that, I mean, the talent, it just kind of, it just fades away over time. And, you know, he, he had a major injury this year, which probably contributed to his decision to walk away. So, I mean, this Saints team, it's loaded with talent. It's loaded with weapons. Whoever inherits that job is going to be, they should be, you know, pretty good next year. And that person's going to be pretty happy. I mean, we could talk about the contract situations if you want to, Thomas. Now, I mean, this is your segment, obviously, but 
Taysom Hill, I mean, they re-upped him for a ridiculous contract. Is he oh going to be God. the new quarterback for them? I mean, there's there's a lot of things up in the air with New Orleans right now. So they re-upped Taysom Hill to an NBA max contract level salary. I mean, I don't know, four years, uh, what, what was it, like $140 million? I have no idea why you would pay an unproven quarterback that much money per year. I mean, Taysom Hill is a, a talented player. He's a utility player. He's been used in ways we've never seen, especially from a quarterback. And credit to Sean Payton for being able to, I guess, like find this guy and, and figure out what to do with him. I mean, he's played on special teams. I just don't understand why they would be giving him like $40 million a season if they weren't planning on making him the starting quarterback. And if they... I mean, if they do make him the starting quarterback, they're going to have to see how he plays. I mean, he's never really... I mean, he started a few games for them. and He threw for over 200 yards in some of those games, but I don't know if you can really rely on him when teams are going to game plan for him for a whole season. I don't know if he is deserving of a contract like that. I mean, when I saw it, I I almost... <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is this? What is going on? Yeah, you texted in the group chat. You're like, what the hell is this? And I'm just... Oh, I just yeah. kind of laughed, but... I don't know. Yeah, I, guess, like, I guess Taysom Hill's the new running back. I don't know. He's, I mean, he's he's been a backup quarterback his whole career, and now they're giving him forty million a season. I yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I feel like it's never been done before. So I don't know. They're gonna. I I highly doubt this happens. But are they just gonna magically trade Kamara? Do they really like Taysom that much? Well, I don't know why they would need to do that. I mean, they can yeah, both. I mean, if you're gonna keep Taysom Hill, Kamara just doesn't exist at this point because. Remember last Fine. year when Taysom took over, he Kamara did almost nothing as a running back, and Taysom took over most well, of the running game because there was design. Like, it was what, literally design run every other play. I don't know. They'll, they'll probably they'll try and figure it out. I mean, they had a, a whole drama with Kamara last year where he was holding out, and they they ended up reaching a uh, an agreement with him and gave him a big contract. So I don't think he's going anywhere. I just think they're going to have to figure out what to do. With with both of them in the backfield, and I I mean thank God that my team didn't have to sign Taysom Hill to a forty million dollar contract. I mean he's making more than Kirk. You want to hate on Kirk all day like you love to do. Taysom Hill is getting paid more than that. So <laughs> I mean think about that for a second. Some interesting antics going on again. The Saints defying the salary cap, proving that it is a meme. That they just they keep signing people and they give egregious people like Taysom Hill a lot of money. So this is going to be interesting. Also, my favorite team, the Green Bay Packers, being the dumbasses that they are, decided to pay Aaron Jones $44 million yesterday. Gave him a four-year contract with a $13 million signing bonus. So I would first like to begin this segment by saying hasta la vista to Corey Lindsley, which is incredibly infuriating because now my team doesn't have the money to resign him. And it is pretty much irrelevant with Adrian Amos and David Bakhtiari taking contract reconstructions. Now, okay, we're going to draft A.J. Dillon. Yeah, okay, we're going to still sign Aaron Jones anyway. You could have let him go. You could have saved that money. You could have used it on, I don't know, probably another linebacker, an outside linebacker, inside linebacker, because since losing Blake Martinez, the linebackers there have not been good. I'm saying linebacker a lot. They could definitely use a better cornerback number two because Kevin King is atrocious. He might be the worst cornerback <laughs> in the NFL. So shout out to him. And you also have to re-sign Devontae Adams and Jair Alexander next year. So 
This contract is, I think, kind of crippling. And I really like Aaron Jones. I really think he's a good pl- He's a good running back. He's strong. He's got some bursts of speed. He's not exactly the easiest guy in the world to tackle, but when his position is incredibly dependent on the line and what they do, how their run blocks and how that scheme goes, can't you pay the lineman first and then worry about the backs? I mean, you have AJ Dillon. You could have re-signed Jamal Williams for like a dollar. He's definitely way cheaper than Jones. And you also have a glaring issue with your receivers because Marquez Valdez-Scantling, while he is good, should not be the number two. Robert Tunyon is a free agent, and he was their best tight end, my favorite player. In fact, that's not named Aaron Charles Rogers. And on top of the fact, there's still holes in the defense, like I just said. And I sent in our group chat yesterday, Will can vouch for me being annoying. It was a waste of time because you can replace running backs in, in the NFL nowadays. Corey Lindsley is definitely, in my opinion in my opinion, is definitely more important to the success of the Green Bay Packers. Also considering David Bakhtiari has a torn ACL as we speak. So I don't know when he's coming back. It's literally going to be Elgin Jenkins on an island on that offensive line. Aaron Rodgers better pray to whoever he believes in. I'm not going to assume his religion. He better pray to whoever he prays to that he doesn't die this year, okay? That he doesn't go up against a team like the Bucks again with their ridiculous lineback front now that Shaq Barrett got re-signed today as we're recording this, or teams like your Vikings that have Danielle Hunter and Pierce on the front along with it's Eric Danielle Kendricks. Hunter. And who knows, maybe freaking Harrison Smith will decide to do a safety blitz. I mean, that would be stupid of him, but you know, maybe they could do it with how weak this Green Bay line is. And like you did say, it, you probably we're probably they're probably not going to get a Galladay. I think he's going to the Giants. We can talk about that another day. They're probably not going to get Allen Robinson. Well, he got tagged, which was a meme because <laughs> he hates Chicago. Um, I don't know. Corey Davis, possible. T.Y. Hilton, I saw, was a name floating around. But I, 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 was, I would have been fine with Jones leaving. I thought keeping Dylan and Williams, you probably can get more out of them, I think, in the long term than you do with Jones. And then you do have to spend area in other areas that are vital and were exposed in the NFC championship game versus Tampa Bay. Well, you get to hear me complain about the green Bay Packers. I made fun of Will's Vikings. I actually paid them a compliment a little bit this time because he knows damn well. I like to make fun Thank of you. Kirk because I don't think Kirk is that good. I just think he's fun to taste some Hill now. That's, that's yeah, taste some Hill is the new meme. He's going to replace Kirk for this season. That contract. Good. They really must. Oh boy! I mean, no, ser- no, but seriously though, the Saints defy the salary cap. That it's a freaking meme. It does not exist down there. Okay, they must have given it some kind of voodoo thing where the cap is just like I don't exist. You can sign whoever you want, which <laughs> allows Taysom Hill to get a one hundred seventy dollar million seventy million dollar contract. Somehow they're going to save or one hundred forty million. Excuse me. But somehow, according to Adam Schefter, they are going to save $7.5 million with this. So it's not like they're totally in some hole that has no way out. But uh, that's going to do it for TCR. I hope you guys enjoyed our birthday shout-outs, our NFL ranting. Taysom Hill's getting a lot, a lot of money.
to be a design run quarterback. So let's go. Glad you guys enjoyed. All right. Well, that'll wrap up episode 75 of the Bonafide Scrubs, the first ever Thomas and Will episode. So Noah, uh, he was singing his own praises about being available for every show. Now he misses his first episode. So shout out to him. Hopefully he will be back uh, soon. Uh, but that'll do it for us. Leave us a rating and review, please. You also sub to the YouTube channel. We're going to upload clips from every episode there as well. So if you don't want to sit down and listen to the full hour, you could always just go there and watch like a 10-minute video. And that's a lot faster. So go over there, sub to that. And uh, we will see you on either Thursday or Friday with the rest of the March Madness conferences. Peace out. Peace.